We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 283 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso as playoff football is in full throws. A uh, very interesting wild card weekend where we had uh, epic comebacks. We had favorites. Um, dogs covering, but not a ton winning. And we do get a very chalky, at least uh, NFC side. Uh, again, both sides are pretty chalky when you take a look at it. Um, yeah. shout, out to the, shout out to the NFC Beast for having a bunch of teams in it. We're going to break it all down. But first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how are you? That was just that was a fun weekend of football. I'm good. I, I, this, is more, this is the better weekend of football because, you know, like you, you, I don't want to say you eliminate the the frauds because playoff teams aren't frauds, but the wild card mm-hmm. round kind of weeds some teams out. And now you know you rarely get the blowout in this round. Uh, so I, I love that. I mean, you still got a lot of football, just like just about the same amount of same amount of football, but it's just better, higher quality football. I love this weekend. Uh, let's close the book on wild card weekend first before we do move on. Uh, a thought or two on each game. Uh, let's uh, let's begin. There on the Saturday uh, slate, and it was a wild one. Uh, we started Seahawks 49ers. Interestingly enough, not that the 49ers need any more help, but they played in the first game of Wild Card Weekend. They will play in the last game of uh, Divisional Weekend. They will be the most rested football team, an unstoppable force, an immovable mm-hmm. object, as long as Brock Purdy can keep it on the rails. He did in this one, and then some 332 and three touchdowns. 41-23, to 23, they beat the Seahawks. Sort of a... Um, I don't know, maybe a feeling out process in the first 30 minutes. And then they just have this, they have this thing to them where they can crush an opponent's will in about mm-hmm. six minutes of game clock. And they did exactly that led by a, a Bosa recovery off a strip sack uh, points the other way. I, I just think that if you're asking me, do I think that the 49ers win the Super Bowl? I don't because of the quarterback. And I know Purdy's been great, but like as the moment gets bigger, you have to expect this kid to make a mistake at some point when there isn't really room for mistake. It's a conversation for a different day. What I want to say here is they are the most talented football team one through 52, 53 there. That is the deepest collection of players across the board of any team right now in the NFL. They're, they're, they're spectacular. They're, they're my favorite team to watch the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, every, we played football all our lives, and like every coach you ever had talks about winning the battle of attrition, and you can kind of tell when the other team starts to starts to lose that battle and eventually quits. Not that the Seahawks quit because they, I think they played about as good of a first half as they could. They made a couple of mistakes there, but like they had a lead going into halftime, and they had some people, including myself, who had the the Niners minus nine and a half, a little bit worried. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like the Niners better than anybody else win that war of attrition and just take your will, and they could, and they like, just keep coming at you. You could you could kind of like take that statement, and it was a it was a statement that applies to the game. It's a statement that's applied to the season too. I mean, think of the injuries that they've had on that football Plus team. You've three lost- seasons. You've lost two quarterbacks. You at one point lost what was then your number one running back to injured reserve. Oh, hey, Christian McCaffrey comes. We're fine. Now yeah. that number one running back is back. Um, you Debo. lost Debo. You lost Dre Greenlaw. You had Eric Armstead out for the beginning of the season. Uh, you lost Bosa for a game or two with a groin. You lost uh, a couple guys in the back end. You've lost pretty much knock on wood everybody but Fred Warner at some point of the season like they have been so consistently good you have to give credit to Kyle Shanahan but whatever they're doing from a like uh, coaching player development standpoint of making sure readiness runs one through the last guy on the roster Mm -hmm. they're they're simply spectacular Uh, no surprise that they took care of the Seahawks for the third time this season Uh, the fun was just getting started there on Saturday as the Chargers completely charge it all over themselves and lose to the Jaguars 31 to 30 Um, we talk about assigning some of the credit in San Francisco where do you assign give me a give me a pie chart breakdown of who gets the blame for that one man it's it's difficult. Um, 
I mean, I think Joe Lombardi deserves some blame. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I think I think he got scapegoated a little bit, but I'm good I with a 40 40. Also... I'm good with a 40 40 20 of Lombardi, uh, Staley, Herbert. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, Herbert deserves some blame for sure. He's the guy, but he's the guy I think who just he was going to the center's ass. You get yeah, some blame. But, but I think he was failed also by his coaches at the same time. Most and certainly. like, this goes back to what we talked about last week, but like, wouldn't it been nice for him to have his best receiver in the game and Mike oh, Williams who didn't, you know, break his back playing massive. in a meaningless football game in Denver. And then um, like, you know, every play that goes to Mike and Mike Williams backup is a play they'd be going to Mike. Like that said, Herbert needs to make more plays down the stretch, but like I, Doug Peterson just out coached Brandon Staley and, I guess Brandon Staley is going to survive this round. That's what it appears like because the offensive coordinator got fired. That's the scapegoat. But like, there's a lot of pressure now headed in Brandon Staley, headed in next year on Brandon Staley. And I think everybody's first year was, you know, all over him, crediting him. He's, you know, he's this bold coach who's going to go for it on fourth and two from his own 30. And then that kind of failed him down the stretch. And then we saw him this year change a little bit to become this, mm-hmm. okay, well, now I have to adapt. Now I have to be more conservative. What's going to happen next year now? Like I, I feel like he's he gets in he got into his own head this year and after blowing a twenty seven nothing lead, how's he going to get into his head next year? I just I, I'm a little bit. It would have been a little early to get rid of him, but if they wanted to pull the plug there, I also wouldn't uh, wouldn't have necessarily blamed him because you do have this and he hasn't Justin Herbert hasn't proven that he Justin Herbert has high, elite to high end talent, but. Like he hasn't proven he can put it all together under Brandon Staley. And if you don't think that that's the guy that can get your quarterback there, you have to go find the guy that can get yeah, your quarterback there. And, and that's a further indictment of Brandon Staley to me. Like yeah. you can't get this world-class talent to the level that he needs to be at. And if Justin um, Peterson were, or Justin Herbert was with Doug Peterson, I think we'd be talking about, you know, maybe a team that's up there with the chiefs in the NFC West as a, you know, a potential one seat. I mean, you can't, you can't look at this Jaguars team and tell me that coaching isn't of the utmost importance at this level. Look mm-hmm. at this Jaguars team. Uh, I understand uh, offensive weapons uh, in terms of Travis Etienne being hurt last year, Christian Kirk not being on the team uh, tight end. Why am I blanking on their tight end? Evan Ingram. Um, Evan Ingram not being on the team. Like their biggest offensive performers were additions, but the core of the team, the quarterback was, was all there and Urban Meyer couldn't do a damn thing with it. So coaching yeah. is of the utmost importance. And I think that I think that Justin Herbert is a spectacular talent. Do I share some of the same concerns about Justin Herbert that I do about Trevor Lawrence? Um, in terms of the uh, leadership aspect, in terms of what I want my quarterback to be vocally. Yes, both of those guys I still think have a ton to prove. I think Trevor Lawrence is taking strides in the right direction in front of our eyes right now in becoming more of that, becoming better at that. I'm not sure that we've seen that out of uh, of Justin Herbert, if I can be critical about anything. If you're going to be critical about Justin Herbert, it's not about the arm talent. It's not about his ability to read the field. He's not being put in the best positions to show off that talent lots of times he is he has a god touched him on his right arm and he had the second lowest air yards per attempt this season Mm -hmm. i get it that's your scheme i get it you have a talented running back who can catch the ball out of the backfield but at certain points let him sling the rock healthy receivers on the outside or depth at those positions where you're taking shots down the field anyway um i just think that uh, and yes, Joe Lombardi uh, handing the ball to Austin Eckler five times in the second half with a twenty-point lead seems problematic. Um, you need to you need to have a game plan. I think that one of the more jarring things over the weekend, and this is a broad statement, but uh, you can apply it to the to the Jaguar or excuse me to the Chargers big time is in-game coaching, in-game decision making is not great. And that might be some of the effects of this uh, boy genius push that we have in the NFL. Now Lombardi's been around for a long time, but like, Mm -hmm. I I just think that, I just think that you have a lot of guys in situations a la Mike McDaniel, um, a la uh, Kevin O'Connell, a la even Harbaugh making the wrong decisions at the wrong time, costing their team points, costing their team time, costing their team clock. Like it's, it's never, and like I expect it to be clean. I expect it to be professional. And just sometimes the in-game decision making is not from these coaches. Yeah, and from a Chargers standpoint too, like 
the best team, the teams that go the farthest in the playoffs, are the teams that can run the football successfully. I'm not saying you need to be the 49ers where you have four different running backs and the best run scheme in the NFL, but like 67 yards on 23 carries isn't going to get it done, especially when you're trying to ice away a 27 to nothing lead. It had, you shouldn't have to ice away a 27 to nothing lead. You're up 27 to nothing, but like, you got to be able to run the football and put that game away. And they just couldn't do it. I mean, Austin, I like Austin Eckler. I think he's a very nice, talented player. Like, I, I think you need to go out and find yourself like a true running back. I think Austin Eckler is kind of one of these, you know, hybrids that you can get some carries to figure out some ways to get the ball out, like outside the pocket, whether that's swing passes, screens. But like, this team doesn't really have a true in between the tackles running game. And yeah, that looks great I, I in the regular season, that- but like, I kind of thought that coming. In, I kind of thought that coming into this year, um, that's how I've always kind of felt about Austin Eckler, and I kind of I want to say I was proven wrong um, this time around. Yes, he rushes for sub a thousand yards here. Um, Nine hundred yards in seventeen games is not uh, blowing anyone's hair mm-hmm. back, but I think he caught. He, let me see, seven hundred twenty-two through the air. So all purpose, you're talking about sixteen hundred yards. I do need more than that from from my back, especially in the run game. But um, you need someone to NFL, compliment what he does. Like you the need NFL somebody touchdowns. He's a weapon. But yes, to your point, yeah, you, you I, kind I, of want. That's not a knock on what, like, who Austin Eckler like the, the talent that like he's a very yeah. talented football player, and I would want him on my team in a heartbeat. But like, you need that true in between the tackles running back to compliment him. Is all I'm saying. Let's talk about some more decision-making as we get to Sunday. Dolphins, Bills, far closer than anybody expected. Uh, 34-31. Skylar Thompson maybe earning himself a backup job in Miami or elsewhere across the league the way he performed. Um, he got no help either. Waddle dropped balls. Gasicki dropped balls. Um, Tyree dropped one, you? Tyree dropped He was out there slinging it, not getting a whole lot of help, but uh, kept his team in the game. And then in those final moments, again, uh, young coaching. Now, Mike McDaniel said that he thought he had the first down, uh, didn't realize he had fourth and one, had to get a different package out there, calls a timeout because the package didn't get out there in time, then kind of sends in not the best play. It just felt like, again, first go around uh, in that type of moment as a head coach, seemed a little bit overwhelmed and in some ways it cost his team the game. Uh, what, what was your big takeaway from this one? Yeah, I, I forgot. I was texting uh, a group text. We were talking about this game and, you know, obviously this is much closer than I thought. I kind of thought the Bills were going to stomp them. It looked like earlier they were, were going to. Like The Dolphins came closer in that game than they probably had any business being. Like the Bills were a better football team. The Bills shot themselves in the foot sometimes. Dolphins made I mean, some pretty their big points, plays too. Their points came on like twenty yard fields. Yeah. Their points all came on like twenty five like, yard fields. They they made some they they like Allen threw three interceptions. I also like I thought some of those interceptions were just great defensive plays. Um but that said like for a team that was in a game they probably had no business being in. And if you told a Dolphins fan before, hey, this is going to be a three-point game either way. They'd take that in a heartbeat no matter what. they are got to be looking back and like, man, we let that one slip away. The amount of drop passes like you were talking about, the the mis, uh, mismanagement of timeouts late, the play clock uh, running out so many times and kind of having to burn we'll use timeouts to burn that way and then late in the game going from fourth and one to fourth and six or whatever it was like – they really let that one slip away. And it, it comes like, you know, to what you said, the, the the coaching experience. And I think Mike McDaniel's got a very bright future in this league. And I think he's, I think he's going to be the Dolphins head coach for a while, provided they get the quarterback situation right next year. Like, I think he's, he's going to be there for quite some time and a good fit, but man, that's one that, you know, next year, if they're back in this situation, he better learn from that because that was one that falls on coaching and yet yeah, a little, a little bit on a quarterback, but like, it's your third string quarterback on the road in the most hostile environment in the NFL. Like that's, that was, you've got to have those, everything buttoned up. Mistakes were built. Standpoint. Mistakes were built into the model. Let's say yes. like you knew, you knew, you, you knew a couple. Over. Yes. You knew there were going to be a couple times you're going to have to pull Skylar aside and be like, Hey, like, don't do that. Like we need to do yeah. this. But like that, yeah. that's, that's not having, that's a poor coaching job. Uh, now and, here's, uh, here's where it's very interesting, at least from my point of view and what we do. Um, the way we structure narrative, the way we frame situations. I feel like we're going to go into next season 
And the first thing we're going to be talking about with the Chargers is Brandon Staley's decision-making. And I feel like because of everything that occurred in Miami, it's going to be Mm -hmm. a different narrative there because it was the third-string quarterback, because of the tumultuous offseason with uh, potential tampering and this first-round pick that they're not going to have. because Not potential tampering, they tampered. Um, Because of everything that occurred in the – to a saga with him going down in Cincinnati, with him coming back, with him playing the second half in that game with a concussion, not in the Cincinnati one, but with, I can't mm-hmm. forget the I forget the opponent. But like so many things happened Buffalo, in the lead up to this game that we were ready to just write them off. The fact that uh, the fact that Mike McDaniel had them in a football game late, I think, is how we'll remember that rather than always oh, screwed up that fourth down call. I don't know. I just think that um, I think that there's so much else to look at in Miami yeah. that this, this going to fly under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it's going to stagnate the franchise a whole lot um, because of the uh, the headline riddled season it was for Mike McDaniel and like a lot of people coming into this year were saying, you know doesn't really it's got to kind of what's what whatever the opposite of uh look like a duck quack like a duck is that's my like mike mcdaniel is a uh he's not a duck you know it doesn't look like it's supposed to when we talk about head coaches in the nfl mm-hmm. and the success that he saw in this season rotating quarterbacks um doing what he did in his first year, I think opened a lot of eyes. You, I, I want, I want to say that you can move away from this year feeling positive. If you're a Dolphins fan, I, I definitely think you can like, I mean, if this, if you're in the same, I mean, hopefully not the same situation where you're starting your third string quarterback in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. if you're in a similar situation next year, where the second half of a close playoff game, you're having these situations or, you know, an important game during the regular season next year, you can start that conversation. But yeah. for right now, I think that's a, all right, that was a, that was a rookie head coach too. Like we, we, he did overall a very good job this year in getting that team to the playoffs and, you know, snapping out of a five game winning or losing streak to win that last game and get them there. You know, a lot of people didn't think he could do that. And as a, as a younger head coach would be able to, you know, get an NFL locker room to kind of get out of spiraling something like that. He did. I think he did a great job. He just coached a bad second half. So next year he's going to have a chance to get out of that. And I, I hope they get their quarterback or figure out the quarterback situation. Yeah. So he's not dealing with, you know, three different options. And uh, first and foremost, I hope Tua is healthy or I hope Tua just decides to, you know, maybe take a year off or something. But uh, if they can figure out that quarterback situation, I, I'm very high on the Dolphins going into next year. Let me, let me offer a qualifier. I think you can feel good about the head coach. Yes. Um, Agreed. Because the quarterback is a massive question mark. The idea that Raheem Mostert uh, is a free agent, that uh, Mike Kosicki is a free agent, that your left tackle that you paid heaven and earth for can't stay healthy is an issue. So there are issues like there are everywhere else. Uh, you want to talk about issues? How about the Vikings being mm. the Vikings? Well, the Vikings. Yeah. The Vikings are Carthage is Carthage and the Vikings are the Vikings and they will show their true colors <laughs> at some point. They will show their true colors at some point, and those true colors came out in this game. They got put – you know what they did? They found themselves in a back alley fight, and they got their asses kicked. That's what happened. And the score might not tell that story, but throughout that game – They got beat that up. Was, that was physical will being imposed by a team with less talent, and that was so much fun to watch, not just because it was the Vikings, but because the Giants are afraid of nobody, because the Giants have taken on the personality of their head coach and said, we don't care that we don't have any wide receivers you've ever heard of. Richie James is going to go make plays. Isaiah Hodge is going to go make plays. You're going to learn their names. Um, we don't care that you don't believe in the quarterback. Daniel Jones is going to go out there and put on a franchise quarterback-like performance. We don't care that we weren't supposed to be here. We're here, and we're going to punch you in your mouth on your home field, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, I was in no way surprised by the way that this went down, but in a moment where Kirk Cousins could have been somebody and told us all to go screw off all the naysayers. He could have flipped us a double bird. He reverts to exactly who Kirk Cousins is. And that's check down Charlie three yard out fourth on fourth and forever throws a three yard out to TJ Hawkinson. And that's your season. Uh, It was, it was poetic in some ways, Matt. I don't even really know like where to stick. I, 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 I want to start with the Giants because like you're right. They went out and won this game a lot more than the Giants or than the Vikings went out and lost it. The Vikings or the Giants, like they reminded me kind of a San Francisco light. Like 
they just kind of kept coming after you until they beat you down enough to go beat you. And Daniel Jones played with absolutely no fear, no second thoughts, nothing. He just went out and slung the rock. And I think your point about them taking on, you know, the, the Dable mindset um, was really astute and right on. But like from a Viking standpoint, like Kirk didn't necessarily lose you the game, but he also didn't really win it. And sure didn't win that this Viking, he did not, he did not win. <laughs> Um, this Vikings defense, though, it's just like they're old, it, dude. It's, like I love I, Patrick Peterson is is very likely a Hall of Famer. He's he's a, my colleague. Great we work for the same company. You're he's old. awesome. He's 32. He cannot be your number one. Like he, he's Harrison Smith, Golden Dome legend. You're old. He's, he's old. Duke Shelley. You remember Duke Shelley? He couldn't. <laughs> he couldn't make the Bears, and he yeah. is one of their starting corners. He would six that like. You, you got it. And they're in cap hell, I believe, from what I remember seeing uh, at, at the end of this year. So I good luck getting creative and, and refiguring out that defense. But like as long as that defense is that bad, I'm not really sure how it matters, how good Justin Jefferson is, how good Dalvin Cook is at times, how many weapons they have offensively. And I, I like Daniel Jones a lot. And I, I'm, I'm flipping to the narrative of as long as he doesn't want, you know, elite, elite quarterback money, you probably bring him back. Um, and not just on the tag, or you tag them and then figure out a, a contract after that. Um, I think if you like, can get, you got to like, you can get Daniel Jones on like a a five year deal, of, a five year deal, first three guaranteed, and an outright there at like yeah. thirty three a year. I yeah, know the number I crazy, saw being floated like, I was thirty five. Like right, like right in that mid thirties range is, is about right. Makes I, you I a think top ten paid quarterback in the league on an average annual value. You give a yeah. nice chunk of uh, of guaranteed money. You don't handcuff yourself to a, a, a ten year, uh, five year, whatever. You don't handcuff yourself to a deal that could go bad, a la Denver, a la. Um, you know, I like your three. I like your three highest paid quarterbacks in the game right now: Denver, Cleveland, and Arizona. All mm. three guys who we don't know if they're any good right now. Um, can I, so you can't can do I, that. Can I give you a meatball take that I know is probably not something that should actually happen? Meatball it up. But like, I would like to uh, call Saquon in the off season. Just yeah. like see, just like talk to him. We got a hundred nineteen million in cap space. We'll have a ton of it next year. I, I don't think he's so, going to command a massive deal, like guarantee him a bunch of money in years one and two and see what happens. So I don't, I don't want to be a part of that at all. Um, yeah, I know. I, see, that's why I said it's a meatball awesome take that I know isn't true, but like that he was had an awesome season. He's a great weapon, but like production, the production you can get out of that position can be found a lot of places for yeah, a lot I know. less. Than I what know. You're gonna have to Thank you for by. talking me down. It's not, it's not even going to be an option. So you're fine because yeah. I really think with the way that Daniel Jones has stood up down the stretch here and throughout the entire season, they're paying him, they're tagging Saquon. Yeah, you tag and, Saquon. Then, and then we cross this bridge in 365 days and Saquon is a year older and yeah, you know, I know, I know running back years are dog years. Somebody gives him a deal, I think, but nothing crazy. Thank you. I, yeah. Thank I you for don't... talking me down because I knew I needed to be talked down, but just, it's... I hadn't done it to myself yet. And I needed that. Thank you. I it's knew it. Khalil, in the moment. It's Khalil Herbert and whoever yeah. we draft in the fifth or sixth round. This yeah. That's, year. that's the nice part about this draft is there is a lot of like, High end, uh, high end college talented running backs that are going to be there, and you know the fifth, fourth, fifth, yeah, sixth you, round. I mean the 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 market has, Brown out Illinois. the market has devalued them. You're, they're going to be there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, look at look at talents that came down this year and uh, Brees Hall, Khalil and Herbert, Carter, and even yeah, look at a Khalil Herbert. Like that's 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 what you want at that position. But yeah. um. Thank you. I need. I just need to get that off my right. chest to somebody. Right. You get it. You uh, understand. Ravens and Bengals. Uh, Bengals come away with the win. 24-17 game swings on a Sam Hubbard 98-yard return. Cincinnati kid does it for the hometown team. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about the Bengals moving yeah, forward. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. They haven't, they haven't blown out the Ravens in these two moments where they should have with Anthony Brown, a quarterback, and then with Tyler Huntley giving them every, every opportunity to do so. Um, but this was kind of who they were last year down, down that magical stretch. They never really ran away with one. Um, I don't know. I think that uh, this is more of an indictment of, of the Ravens than it is a celebration of the Bengals. Um, 
you can't try and sneak it from the two yard line. You got to know if you are trying to sneak it from the two yard line that you're not jumping over the top. Yep. Um, you have to have a play ready inside two minutes uh, going in to tie the game on like the 13 yeah, or 12 or whatever they got to. Such awful clock management for Letting 30 one of the game's the best clock, head coaches. Then using a timeout. It's just like, if you can't do it, dude, it's fine. Have somebody in your yeah. ear upstairs or standing next to you saying, "Time, here's the timeout, here's yeah. the timeout. And, and you have to have that relationship built to where it's no longer, as the head coach, your decision. If your fuck, if your clock management guy says timeout, it's timeout. If your yeah. clock man, if your if your OC gives you a play, it's that play. It's like it needs to be streamlined in those moments, and it's just not. Uh, it's it's mind boggling how this continues to keep happening. And I know he ended up getting fired, but like credit to Nathaniel Hackett for just doing. And maybe he was told he had to, but like a couple weeks into the year, he just acknowledged what he didn't know and hired a guy to do that for him. Like. It's it's got. I mean, it's the ego on these head coaches to to think that they don't yeah, necessarily now, now need that help. But like, going to be that guy somewhere. So yeah, seriously. Full circle. Uh, but yeah, from from Bengals standpoint, you're right. Like this is kind of what they did last year too. But I don't know. Like it seemed like they were firing on all cylinders leading up into that Monday night game against the Bills, and then even in the first quarter of that Monday night game against the Bills, they're flying around. Yeah, and then it just it's I don't know. It seemed like against Baltimore they took they they took their foot off the gas a little bit. Maybe that's because I mean I I thought the Anthony Brown game that's because they knew they were going up against backup or a third string quarterback, and you know it's easy to kind of go through the motions a little bit when you know that's happening. But like this was a playoff game, and Tyler Huntley's obviously not Lamar Jackson, but like he's a fine backup quarterback in this league. And that was a, a strange effort. And they, they couldn't really run the football all that well. And I mean, we, we talked about the importance of running the football. We already did in this podcast, but like, I don't know. I, I'm the bills Bengals game. I'm incredibly excited for, and I am not, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole in terms of betting it because okay. you never, I, I don't know which team is going to show up. The bills don't play a normal football game. They can be the best team in the NFL for stretches and then they can make some head scratching plays for others. The Bengals are capable of, beating anybody they're also capable of you know almost losing to backup and third string quarterback so like i'm wildly excited to watch that game but it's not what i'm going to touch in terms of gambling um if you're talking about variance and outcome that's what dak prescott has given us hmm. and uh we saw the peak i don't know if we saw the peak but we saw a high point perhaps the greatest game he's played in his career against the buccaneers clean football slinging it around finding everybody five total touchdowns sets a Cowboys playoff record uh, for total touchdowns uh, 31 14 they take care of the Bucks absolutely no problem whatsoever I was so impressed by Dak in this game and you know we could we could make big Brady statements about his future about this game about what's left in him but this was just about Dak for me and yeah. this was about the better football team coming away with a win and was glad to see Dak play clean football after man I think he had Eight, eight interceptions in a seven-week span, uh, led the NFL in interceptions despite missing five games. Like He had problems this year, and he looked so confident in this moment delivering the football where it needed to be, when it needed to be there. Um, very, very impressed by the Cowboys. I kind of had them as walking dead. Uh, I, I think that's a, I think that this is a full-on uh, competitive contender in the Cowboys moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly adds... Excuse if they me, play like that, more. they beat. They beat. They could beat anybody if they play like that. Yeah, I like. I, I hope we see the 49ers play like they did in the second half, and the Cowboys play like they did in this game because that's going to be a, one just hell of a football matchup. Like I, I still think it's a tough matchup for them, especially playing on the shorter week. I know they they're the last game to be played, but still a little bit of a shorter week. They got to go to San Francisco, a tough place to play against a team that you know beat them last year in the playoffs. But in terms of that, like in terms of Monday night, like that was as good as I can remember Dak playing. And I, I know Tampa's O-line has struggled all year. They, they got healthier, but like Ryan Jensen was playing on a just recovered torn at ACL. And that was his first Shout game in however many months. Like, good for him for coming back. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with Tristan Wirfs. He's looked, I feel like every time I'm watching a Bucks game, he's taking a terrible holding call, but like, the Cowboys defensive line went pass rush went back to the Cowboys pass rush that, you know, early on the season, mid season, we were talking about makes them Super Bowl contenders. And if you're Dak and you're that offense and you see your defense going in after like that, it gives you a little bit of a boost too. So I think with how well that defense started out and I think it, you know, it took 
three possessions for Tampa to get their first first down, you get a little bit of a, of a pep in your step when you see the defense and the pass rush and you, your guys, Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence coming to play like that. Uh as we move forward, uh, Matt, we did both come away with wins in our locks of the week. We will offer up locks here in the divisional round as well. With that being said, Matt sitting at 11 and 7. I chase one game at 10 and 8. Stay hot, boys. Uh, 10 game winning streak lives on on air as well. Again, tune in CBS Sports HQ, all on the line picks. Kids, a human torch. Kid is a human torch, and he was denied a bank loan. Uh, let's get into the divisional round. It's going to start with the Jags and the Chiefs. Trevor Lawrence at the podium not long ago saying, I can't imagine Arrowhead's going to be any louder than the Jags fans were last week. Chiefs by a 1,000. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I am interested to see this, like how the Jaguars come out and play because, like, they're – they're a team that just kind of doesn't quit. And we talked about with the Niners, like they're a team that can kind of bully you and make you quit. The Chargers should have gotten the Jags to that point. And then they were down 27 nothing and just kind of played with house. Like they've been playing with house money all year, it seems yeah. like. And, and I, I think they kind of do have that, like, whatever. Like, th- like this is a bonus here. Like we weren't expected to be here. Like there's no pressure on us. Let's just go play football. That said, I do, I still think the Chiefs win by, you know, 14, 17 points here. But like, I think we see a little fight and a little something from the Jaguars. I don't think it's, you know, 31 to seven. I, th- I think they play a decent football game. They just I get beat so by well. a much better football team. I think so as well. I, I think that if they want any chance, the Chiefs are going to have to make mistakes. And, you know, all the stats about Andy Reid coming off a week of rest and the game plan he's yeah. going to have ready. And I think that, uh, you know, also when you sit around and you watch everybody else for a week, you also hear nobody talking about you and you could almost take that as a personal affront. And I think that Mm -hmm. this is a chiefs team to your point that needs a reason. And and sometimes you need to manufacture that reason internally. And I think Pat Mahomes does a good job of doing that for his team. I think we see the best chiefs performance of the season uh, this coming week. I'd almost be, ready to lay that eight and a half. Uh, I took a look at the team total. It's 30 and a half. Yeah. I'm not going to touch either was, of those, but like those are my first, that was my first look when I saw eight and a half for locks. Like, oh, yeah. it's chiefs team total. 31 is a little high. It's a little high. Uh, we also get the giants and the Eagles NFC East matchup, uh, seven and a half point favorites are the Philadelphia Eagles coming off thereby. The question remains how healthy is Jalen hurts. I think he's going to be plenty healthy, uh, but this is going to be physical football. This is going to be um, knockdown, drag out stuff, and uh, I think that I think that we get a close football game here. But I think it's I think it's the Eagles. Yeah, I think the Eagles probably come away with this one too. But also, like the Giants went into Minnesota and played with zero fear. They're going to go. Mm-hmm. They're going to go play Philly, a team that they've seen twice already. That they're just they're not going to care. Like they don't have the, like, at least that's what I don't think. I don't think they're going to care that they're going into the number one seed, the team that's 14 and three in a hostile environment. I think they're just going to go play their brand of football and not really give a crap who's lining up against them. I still think the Eagles win this game, but like Philly hasn't played like Jalen hurts. I should say, hasn't played like a real football game since the bears game. Like mm-hmm. I know he played against the Giants in weeks 18 and it was for the division technically, but like they went up against, you know, Giants backups and the Giants really weren't playing in that game. And he did show a little rust. The, the Eagles for as good as they've been all year up front on both sides, of the ball a little bit banged up. I know Lane Johnson's playing through injuries. Jordan Davis has been hurt most of the year. Um, like if the Giants can run the ball and Philly's banged up up front, like, that's they can sneaky keep this one close. And if you get to a close game in the fourth quarter, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm going to play Saquon Barkley under 70 and a, under 70 and a half uh, rushing yards as my player prop here. I think that they saw a lot of success last week. Did the giants uh, getting Saquon involved in the pass game. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to try, I think you're going to get as many it. receptions as carries or something close to it. Yeah. I don't know if you see the same sort of split there. 70 and a half just seems too tall against the defense that if, if you look at Philly's dominance, yes, they've been great offensively. They've been good enough defensively. The games where they dominate, the defense really shows up in that the, the run defense shows up in that, uh, in that effort. I think that mm-hmm. they got to be stronger up the middle with Jordan Davis. And uh, I'm going to play Saquon under 70 and a half as my lock of the week. That's your lock of the week. I'll get to mine when we get to the game. It's in How about that? Buffalo Cincinnati. Perhaps it's there. Buffalo laying five and a half. 
uh, to the Bengals in a game that's going to have a lot in it. Um, I, I know that DeMar Hamlin's uh, near tragic event there happened in Cincinnati, but this was the matchup. Uh, we resume uh, this this game that actually never occurred. I, I just think that there's going to be some residual emotion there attached mm-hmm. to this game. I'm not sure how it affects the game. Um, DeMar Hamlin's been back with the team. Uh, he's been at facilities. So He'll probably they, be at the uh, game. Yeah, I, I could see that being a moment at the game, maybe like up in a press box somewhere they show up. Like, there's going to be some juice involved in this one, but I think Cincinnati and Joe Burrow are the perfect team to just sort of let that happen and not let it Whether affect that them storm. and just sort of go out there and continue to play their football. And, and like you said, like when they get playing downhill, uh, the way we saw them those first couple drives against the Bills, they're as dangerous as anybody. Buffalo worries me. Buffalo's just not played clean football. They've not mm-hmm. done what we've expected them to do in those moments recently. I I, th- I think the season could come to an end here against Cincinnati. I'm not going to say I'm going to pick Cincinnati on the money line, but I do like those five and a half. It's just a matter of whether or not Buffalo can take care of the football. Because since he's yeah. not really going to beat themselves, and Buffalo – when they lose, it's usually because they beat themselves and they're giving the football away. If they, if they take care of the football, I think Buffalo's going to win. Um, and I, I, I don't, but it, I mean, if they give the football back to Cincinnati and Josh Allen has three interceptions or we have a fumble here and there, like this is, this team, is absolutely a, a game Cincinnati. Advantage. Yeah. Like Cincinnati's not really going to beat themselves. And if you give them opportunities, they're going to be a little bit more. They're probably not going to settle for field goals off turnovers as much as Miami did. They're, they're going to, use that momentum and kind of take it, like you said, get rolling downhill like they do so well. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to touch this one from a betting standpoint. I think if anything, I might take like a Bills first quarter because I think they're going to show DeMar Hamlin early on in that game yeah. or pregame before kickoff. And that's going to provide some extra juice for the crowd and the team. But other than that, like I'm just going to, I'm going to sit back and watch this one because no idea which team is going to show up for Buffalo and to an extent Cincinnati. And then it will come to a close math on Sunday evening, Sunday night, uh, Cowboys 49ers, one of the most historic rivalries in the history of this game uh nine i believe this would be the ninth playoff meeting between the two teams mm-hmm. uh you got moments like montana to clark um it's it's literally americana it's football and i think it's going to be a good one i honestly was not as excited about the prospect of this matchup a week ago but after seeing what the Cowboys were able to do they look like a team that could give the 49ers issues now you kind of think about being on the field against this defense is not necessarily where you'd like to score splash plays against the 49ers it's probably the only way you're going to beat them but Mm -hmm. I've, I've gotten to a point where it's almost like you got to keep Brock Purdy in this offense off the field because you could say what you want about Mr. Irrelevant or, or uh, you could dig into some of the tape and say, oh, it's not the uh, it's not the uh, it's not what it's being made out to be. He's not that good. I, that's sort of the last couple of days of the media cycle has been. Let's go bad on Brock Purdy and let's just give every other reason that the Niners are good. And it might be true, but. It's also what makes them so damn tough. The fact that you have a receiver on the outside and Brandon Ayuk who just quietly went for a thousand plus yards. You have one of the most dynamic players in the game in Debo Samuel. You have Kyle Juszczyk who could line up anywhere from fullback to tight end to wide receiver to running back. You have arguably the most dynamic running back in the game in Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey. You have... Uh, George Kittle, one of the top three tight ends in the game. Yes, it's going to be easy for a quarterback to make those things work, but he's still the one executing the offense. Do I worry about at some point it all coming crashing down? Yes, because we are still talking about the last pick in the draft that nobody believed in who's undersized and could it go wrong? At some point it could, but he's going to be put in a position to succeed. I still like the Niners here. Like I said at the outset, I think it's the most complete football team in the NFL right now. Uh, The defense is copy and paste the best in the game and they haven't wavered from that but there were points in the season where people were making a case for the Cowboys at least in that pass rush being the best in the game so uh, this is good on good I think that the edge offensively 
maybe goes to the Cowboys right now. The edge defensively goes to the Niners. I think it's going to be a great football game. I don't know. Like it's just like the Cowboys are similar to what we talked about with the Bills to an extent of like which version of this team are we going to see? Are we going to see the one that kind of struggled at times, like Bill struggled yeah. kind of at times midseason? The Cowboys would have these head scratching losses, and then they go beat the Vikings forty to three. Like, which team, which offense are we going to see? And I'm not totally certain on that. And the thing I am certain about with the Forty ers like we, you, you mentioned it. You know, everyone kept saying, you know, is this you know Brock Purdy moment's going to be too big for him? You know, he's been great, but he's Mister Irrelevant. What happens when he finally turns into a pumpkin? We saw that last week in the first quarter and to an extent, the first like that first drive for Brock Purdy, he made some awful throws. He looked jittery. He was you know, he made some very you know, weird decisions. He didn't play well in that first quarter. And the Niners were still winning after it. They were only down a point at halftime. And then, you know, second half, he got his feet underneath him and was fine. Like, I, I get he's going up against a better pass rush, but he's also got an elite offensive line in front of him. I I can't put my faith into the Cowboys because we've seen them look that good before this year at times and then followed up with a head scratching. What the hell was that effort? Whereas the Niners, I think we know what we're getting. Yeah. So I, I lean I Niners, but like if, 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 if the Cowboys offense that shows up, that showed up Monday night shows up on Sunday, it's going to be a hell of a football game. I, I agree with you. I think that um, either way, I think this thing is tight late um, unless, you know, it's one of those Dak. Unless Dak's turn the ball over. Yeah. Which, which I don't think is the case. Here's, here's the thing that we didn't bring up in our recap. What happens if it's a close game and Brett Maher's got to look from 48? Like oh, what, ha- what happens? Then? That's <laughs> because, what happens on his first extra point attempt. Because the poor guy is mentally. And I don't know if you saw post game, some of the locker room stuff. Uh, Jonathan Jones, our insider, was in there, and I even talked to him after. Um, to nobody's surprise, Maher was pretty shook post game, and he didn't offer much in the form of solutions. I don't know that you can in that moment, other than you know we got to get out there and get it figured out. But he looked like a man whose whose core was uh, whose core was shook. broken. Yeah, he, he was he was in a word shooketh. And uh, it's going to be very interesting if it comes down to a kick uh, off the foot of that man. So yeah, those were like that was in a game too. That was, I mean, you know, the first extra point matters, but like it was kind of over early, and he still just kept missing. It was like I, I, the game was over, and I still kept watching to see if he keep missing extra points. The thing that told you, the thing that told you it was the yips too was it was the same miss, the first two. It was the push-miss right. It was the push-miss right. It was the overcooked, uh, overcorrection left, and mm-hmm. then another push-miss right. Like, yep. it was he, – he's hitting the ball in the same wrong place, which is yep. which is yippy. It's very, very yippy. Um, so, here's I, to hoping that you uh, have some sort of spiritual awakening this week, Brett Maher, you don't cost your team a playoff game. My, uh, th- this is the game though. We to get off the kicking game because we're not really a special teams pot all that much. Oh, you were a holder though, I guess. So the, you For were a little eight bit. Years. Uh, my lock of the week comes from this game. Uh, you mentioned him in the dynamic, uh, 49ers playmaker ability room, whatever you want to call it. Brandon Ayuk over 55 and a half receiving yards. Um, I think that's too low. He had, fi- he's gone over that four of the last five, six of the last eight. And he gets a lot of targets, too, from Brock Purdy. So I, I really like Brandon Ayuk in this offense. I think his numbers often get a little bit um, undervalued because, you know, Debo's back. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey gets a lot of attention. So does that running game. And Ayuk's really just had a fantastic, quiet, like you said, 1,000-yard season. I'm going to go with him to take advantage of this Cowboys defense a little bit as not the primary focus for them. All right. So that is uh, the lock of the week there for Matt Rooney. Again, I'm giving you Saquon under rushing yards at 70 and one half. Uh, Matt, I think you said we have a mailbag. Do we not? We do. Have a, we got a quick mailbag and we can get the get the listeners on our way. I want to pop this open. Got to talk Bears because we have a new president. Um, yes, sir. Kevin Warren, um, mailbag sender of the pod, Rob Gallick, uh, sends us, what does Kevin Warren need to do to bring stability and success to a Bears organization that hasn't been done? I'll let you start. What does Kevin Warren need to do to bring su- stability and success? Um, you know, I, I don't, 
I would love to know, and I doubt we're ever going to get a clear answer as we did with Ted Phillips, like who's in charge of what, um, like what, what is Kevin Warren, the end all be all of is that business operations? Is that personnel uh, decisions? I, I would assume that that still goes to Ryan Poles, the general manager. So I think I want Kevin. I want Kevin Warren to take this franchise out of uh, antiquity. I want Kevin Warren to move us to Arlington and build us a stadium, a, a gleaming gem in the suburbs, uh, much the way he did in Minnesota. Um, I want him to. I want him to change the narrative of the Chicago Bears. And I know narrative has only changed through result, and that's on the players, the coach, uh, the the front office, um, the general manager to change that narrative. But I'm sick and tired of being the butt of the joke as as the Chicago Bears. And, and, and I think we have all of the tools at our disposal to change that here in the next few years, specifically here in this offseason with all of the capital that we have, with the, the draft picks that we have, with the first overall pick, that that's going to take care of itself. But what can Kevin Warren do to make the Chicago Bears feared? I think fear would be my one-word answer to what would make this a success. What makes this a success for Kevin Warren is the Chicago Bears are a feared franchise once again, and they are a, what's the word I'm looking for? They are a respectable, uh, there is a respectable reference point in what it means to be a franchise because of the history that this franchise has. I want to get back to a place where we are regarded, revered, and feared. I think that's very well said. Um, and I think part of uh, that goes kind of hand in hand. What I, I want to say is don't be the best friend of the McCaskies. Um, Ted, for, for so long, it was that's Ted good. and George. Yeah. It was, you know, it was Ted and the McCas. It was, all, you're the president. They're the owners. They are your boss. But this, like, this needs to be your job not theirs. Obviously you need to listen to them at certain times and you can't spend money certainly uh, without their clearance, all that. But like this needs to be Kevin Warren's show. This needs to not be a mom and pop shop anymore. Mm -hmm. And it seems like from all reports, he's going to come in there and for lack of a better term, trim the fat and and shake things up a little bit, which I do think things need to be shaken up because there's been a, for too long of a time, an unjustified sense of comfortability in that, at Hallis Hall, anyone who's it's, it's similar to like the White Sox feel of like if you've had a job and you've been there for a while, you're probably just going to have it for a long time because we like you and 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 Virginia sees you on Sundays and she gives you a hug and she likes you. That 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 can't be a thing anymore. We we need to be a success and results based organization past the head coach and general manager. Obviously, those things change when there's not success on the field, but that needs to carry out through the rest of the organization, I think, instead of just maintaining the status quo. And I think Kevin Warren's more than capable of doing that. I think he plans on doing that. I think he plans on doing it quite fairly. Um, but that, that for me, to bring change is he needs to get this out of the we are a mom and pop shop run by Ted and the McCaskies too. This is my show. Yes, they own the team, but like I'm, I'm doing this my way. Yeah. And he's shown the ability to be a, a cutthroat, prudent executive everywhere he's been. Don't take mm-hmm. that away from him. You know, don't, yeah. uh, don't turn him into the figurehead that, uh, that, that Ted Phillips was. I, I think he just that- brought UCLA and USC to the big 10 and got the big 10, the biggest TV deal in the history of college football, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. Let him be bold. Let him be himself. Let him take risks because if you don't, the bears will just kind of be this middling franchise. They've been for a long time. So I, I think that I'm sure someone has connected these dots. It's very low hanging fruit, but in this whole is just in the guy thing. The fact that the commissioner who, uh, whose profitability as a league relied on this player once that's not lost on me either. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is big 10 football back in Hallis hall. So I think that there's a, there's some insulation there uh, for Justin to feel good uh, about the guy at the tippy top of the business operations here as well. Yeah. So I think in terms of all of the decisions that need to be made this off season, all of the, things that need to happen in order for things to go right. This is the first positive decision. And I I don't think that I could be uh, 
talked off of that point. Like I, Bears fans, and I know you know I get on Bears fans about the negativity and how we engage with sometimes the most yeah. stupid topics and questions because so people love to do us as Bears fans. I don't know that there's a way to frame this decision negatively with Kevin Warren now being in charge and specifically Ted Phillips no longer having that role. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, just watching, did you, I'm sure, sure you saw at least the highlights of it. If, if not listen to watch most of the thing, like just the contrast of hearing him talk oh, confidently yeah. about his plan yeah. versus, and I know it's, it was COVID time. So I don't want to knock him for being on you know screen, but like, the naggy the we're keeping naggy in polls press conference from two years ago i still remember ted was wearing like my call of duty headset like in his office in his chair spinning around like yeah they're doing a great job (laughs) they're gonna keep them we need better results but they're doing great like with them it just it's different he projects himself differently and that was a, a you can win the he won the press conference we've seen one press conferences before but that was the exact type of image and projection of leadership that I wanted from the guy who's now running the most storied franchise in the NFL. I think when you get into those back rooms, it's a, if you don't have the respect of your peers too, you're already playing from a deficit. And yeah, and I don't I think, think there's anybody in that office or in that in Hallis Hall that doesn't respect Kevin Warren right now. No, or in the probably a lot there or in the thirty one or in the thirty one other buildings. Yep. Everybody knows who the hell Kevin Warren is. Um and, and I think that it brings uh air of professionalism to the Bears that maybe was not there prior. Agreed. Uh, Matt, I think that's going to do it for this Moose and Runes episode 283 of the pod. Um, hey, let's stay hot with some locks. We got let's stay hot with our locks. Let's stay hot with locks. The Moose and Runes parlay, I believe, back-to-back weeks has cash. Mm. So don't stop now, boys. Uh, with that being said, we're coming down. we're coming down the stretch here, the NFL season. Flood the mailbag. Flood the mailbag. Uh, we're going to hit you postseason, maybe with a nice mailbag episode to round things out. But uh, for now, we have football to break down. We have film to eat for breakfast. He is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.